every single thing in existence ought to be questioned because that is the mechanism of getting at truth. I agree. Totally That's why agree. people are getting offended. It's ridiculous. Are you a child? Are you a little child that you can't handle the illumination of the question? You can't handle the truth. Welcome to the QR Lab. This is the place where we question reality, but even further, we're on a quest to try to understand reality. My name's Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with... Amr Zeki. Tell us who you got here today. Yes, today's a special episode. I'm here <clears throat> with my friend and colleague. will be our guest today. Our first guest. Our first guest, actually. You're, you have the great honor, Arash, of <laughs> being our first guest. We have the great honor. Uh, well, we have the honor, and, and hopefully the audience will enjoy. So um, Dr. Arash Thranian is a good, very close friend of mine and a colleague, and um, he has this idea of, of a theme that, that we felt was very important and, and interesting and exciting for, for this episode. And uh, we're calling it The Destructive Nature of Life, but it's a much deeper concept, and um, uh, Arash and I had many, many great conversations, and so we thought he'd be a great guest to come today and, and share with us some of his um, deepest thoughts on this topic, and it was really his idea. So, Arash, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about your background. Well, first of all, it's, it's a great honor to be here, and uh, thank you for inviting me. This is, this is quite awesome. And um, particularly what I like is the fact that you know, we can um, uh, question pretty much anything, right? Um, we we can we can have conversation about it. It's a civic, civilized argument about what's true, what's not true. How I see the world, how you see the world. <clears throat> Where do we disagree? Are there any like holes in the argument or exceptions in what my train of thoughts? So, I've known um, Amor like. Close to like five years now, I think, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> Life goes by fast. But it seems like I've known you for 30. That's the amazing part. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's just into the... the check, old... check our podcast on time. There's yeah. no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> yeah, so... so uh, and tell us a little bit about your kind of, I guess, educational background. I think it's relevant to the topic. Um... Certainly. So um, I live in... California, specifically in um, Davis, California, <clears throat> and uh, the reason is I'm an eternal learner and, and curious person, and I like to surround myself by smart people like you guys. And, and a great and, cook, I have and, to say. And, <laughs> uh, picked up baking during the COVID as well. And um, no, seriously, the, the thing is that um, being around a university town has many, many... Um, benefits and uh, being able to bounce ideas off smart people who are curious and are they're driven by um, curiosity and and lifelong uh, learners are, is really what attracts me but my uh, the reason I'm back to Davis is because I got my PhD in, in molecular genetics from UC Davis <clears throat> and um, and you also built Mushka's, right? Mushka's Cafe, that was your... Yeah, I was one of the original <laughs> founders of a Mishka's Cafe. Mishka's Davis. is one of the best <clears throat> cafes and chocolate roasting <laughs> and all the stuff in all of Davis. It's a Yeah, it was an interesting... Uh, You're like a local celebrity, man. Interesting. used to be. Uh, it was a quite an interesting uh, It's like the owner of experience. Starbucks, Schwartz, walks in and 
Like, oh, it's, you know, it's... Mishka's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mishka's, downtown <coughs> Davis. I no longer um, own it, but yeah, there was a time where uh, myself and another graduate student in the midst of P- our PhD program decided to go and open a ca- coffee shop yeah. in, in downtown Davis. But <clears throat> yeah, so my background is, uh, was born and raised in Iran. Uh, like so many Iranians left the country after the uh, revolution where the, the Shah left, the king left, yes. uh, exiled. And uh, at that time I went to France, uh, did my high school there and came to United States in 1982, <coughs> toward the end of 1982. And I've been here since. Fantastic. I haven't gone back. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we are really pleased to have you. And, um, you know, Kaldeep and I have been talking for quite some time about what's the 10th episode going to be. Uh, I'm not even sure if this will be that. But anyway, it's, it's you know, sort of the icing on the cake. We, we wanted to bring in a guest. And I think this topic is eternally fascinating. So can you maybe introduce what the question is and kind of walk us through your answer to the question? And then maybe we can, you know, chime in and have some back and forth to try and, and understand this uh, idea a little bit better and dig deeper. Well, I wish I had an answer to. <laughs> to oh, you're in the Kiara lab, man. <clears throat> Answers well, may appear or they may not, <laughs> but the, the journey is what counts. They don't appear until you ask the question. Yeah, no, I think the concept is um, I try to like stay true to what I see around myself without preconceived influences from um, religion or <laughs> faith or to some degree, even science, you know, to be honest with you. <clears throat> but the, the idea is um, what I see around me, does that jive with the belief generally that we have around the, um, the value or the, the um, concept of how cherishable and treasurable and... <clears throat> Um, important maybe life is <clears throat> and by that I mean when you look at the necessity for something to continue living its processes um, there needs to be a destruction of something else usually but not always destruction of another life form right we see it very plainly in nature for a lion to survive, it needs to kill another life. Another animal needs to get destroyed. However, this I don't think is necessarily only for carnivores. You even look at what is necessary for a plant to survive and grow. Another another form needs to end. It another, has to consume water. It has, it has to, to consume cons- water. Even, even the soil, for example. A, a, a tree, its roots, um, it, they, they end up... You know, spreading in underground and exactly taking taking space exactly of the existing Earth exactly. So, so really, what you're describing is is a <clears throat> almost an interdependence that life almost doesn't have boundaries. That it, it's crossing across many different life forms, even things that are inanimate or seemingly inanimate. Right? The, 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 you call them forms. So, you know, where does life start? Where where does life begin? There are these things that we think are not alive. There that are in the structure of life. Then there's things that are. Like you said, there's microorganisms that live off the chemistry at the bottom of the ocean with volcanoes, right? Yeah. And sulfuric acid, and, and, and they're living off the heat, right? Yeah. And I mean, you, the, 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 why I'm calling it form is because what fuels a plant is the 
photon that has traveled, what is it, Amer, 90 million miles away, million, I think 92 million 92 miles million. away from sun yeah. and hit, that, hit the chloroplast molecule on inside the leaf of that plant. And the energy that traveled all this distance hits some atoms in that chloroplast and jacks the, um, the electron off that molecule. And that's what fuels, provides the fuel for the plant to use to manufacture other things. <clears throat> so why I'm calling it a form is because you're not really killing a living things in that moment, but you're basically um, transforming photon from what it is into something else because the photon at that moment ceased to exist. It transfers this energy into something else. It spits a couple of electrons and then the electrons is used to fuel all the manufacturing processes of the plant. So you ended one form of existence, in this case, photon, because it its termination is needed for another thing to continue down the line. So really what you're describing is there's a constant cyclical death and birth and rebirth. Exactly. There's a cycling, and, and, and even beyond what you define as life, which, which has a certain complexity, there is, like you said, a photon has to end. Electron takes over. Then you have an energetic transformation, a reduction in entropy, etc. So there is a destruction of forms and a transformation of forms, a transcendence, essentially. You're, tra you're, you're transducing energy information. Into, so there's a birth, there's a destruction, there's a birth, there's a destruction, which is really falls into cause and effect as well. Because causes and effects are also almost like birth-death cycles. It's very interesting. It ties into that, too. I didn't it ties into a lot of things, actually, when you think yeah. about it. <clears throat> it also ties into, um, I mean, the, the really, the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? I mean, if you're constantly shaping things and um, you're moving from one kind of form to another kind of form, well, what is life then? You know, yeah, what I is think, life? I, I think life, like, you tend to think of it, oh, this is my life. It's actually not your life. You're just riding a wave, and you pop into existence, and you pop out. It's all just life. Like, we're part of this thing called life, and we, we happen to experience it as a unique node, as a unique consciousness, and then we pop in and out of existence. So w what makes me who I am is conditional on the bundles of experiences I've had. But the real me is the watcher, the consciousness that says, hey, Amaris, that voice, hey, that's a good thing, that's not a good thing. That's the real me, which maybe you might call the the soul or some other awareness that's observing. But like, if I was born in China, I'd be speaking Chinese. I'd look like this. Or if I was, that's funny because there's no language Chinese. It's either Mandarin or Cantonese. Correct. That's <laughs> correct. That's a minor point. <laughs> no, but you know, all, all kidding aside, that that's the whole point. Is that you? If you stayed in in Iran you would not be the same person I'm talking to right now. Oh, for sure. Right? Because your environment... So these bundles of experiences are conditioning you. So what you think your life is, that's separate from what life actually is. You're participating in life. So when you die, you're just... Life continues. Some aspect of you has to continue because you're part of that larger thing we call life. I think it's a single thing. I don't think it's separated. I, I think it's so interesting, too, your, your background, your PhD in molecular genetics, right? This... There was an idea about the Human Genome Project that they were going to be able to figure us out. They were going to sequence every our entire disease, genome. Right? Every disease was going to be figured out. And yet we find that um, we are very far from yeah. 
from even understanding even the simplest diseases, right? Um, even though we've sequenced the entire genome, I, I believe that's been accomplished, yet we're no closer to solving cancer or you know, uh, various forms of it's cancer. It's actually considered a, a, a big failure, actually, in, in the field of science. That it's like, what do, we didn't solve anything because of and, it. And, <clears throat> and, and here we are, right? After all of this effort put in... Billions of dollars. Right? Billions of dollars, or even just trying to understand the depths of science. And we're asking these fundamental questions. What uh, you're so eloquently bringing up is this idea that everything, every moment is destroyed for another moment to occur. Or... To put and, it at the atomic level, right, that, that there are subatomic particles that are constantly being exchanged, destroyed in order for life to continue. I agree. And I, so, <clears throat> honestly, I think um, part of the failure that you guys mentioned about um, genomics and, I mean, there were even talks when I was sequ sequencing G DNA at that time when it was just... Uh, um, at this cutting edge of being able to sequence, you know, a bacteria, and it would take like two or three days. <clears throat> and I think there is a major under <clears throat> understatement. Um, and I was, I, I thought, I thought to myself, we are nowhere close to really understanding, um, the 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 function that imparts into a DNA. The problem was that we we thought it was a lot simpler than it is. That basically what it is. <clears throat> well, it's it's reductionist science, right? I mean, it, yeah. th this idea that okay, we just need to keep studying and keep keep uh, investigating and keep cutting the atom into smaller and smaller particles, and we're going to figure it all out. We're going to sequence the the human genome, and we'll have the answer for everything. Wrong, right? Francis Crick, yeah. Doctor Watson. <laughs> I mean, you guys, I think, I think it's, it's so complex. I mean, very complex. when I was. Yeah, but where, where is the complexity? The just, where is the complexity? Is well, it in the material or is it in something else? Is, is, are, are I think it's both. I think it's mm -hmm. both. I mean, if you if you think about it, um, and so it was the 1990s when I was going through graduate school, and um, <laughs> even at that time, there were talks about the vast majority, like 90% of the DNA being what's, what was called junk DNA, like literally junk DNA. People thought that we actually, every one of your cells are carrying this massive amount of DNA, 90% of which is junk. Can I ask you a question about this? Yeah. At the it's time, did that make really any stupid. sense? Right. Did that make any sense to you? Did you accept that right, idea? Because uh, is there any excess in nature? I it, mean, none. Is, is, none. Is, is there... None. Is, but isn't it, there supposed to be like, there's no such talk. thing as... No, it's kind of double it, talk. Okay, I'm going to tell you On an one point, there, mm. everybody says, hey, you know... Um, if you if you agree and believe in um, evolutionary pressures that makes a organism be as efficient as possible, um, you would think a lot. If it's junk, you're not going to be able to like carry this over the evolutionary timeline. This is an anthropomorphic nonsense term. I, <laughs> I remember. I don't know how you feel about this, but if I can just comment about this because I have a very personal experience with this word junk DNA. I distinctly remember in college sitting in the biochemistry hall. How old was I? What? 19? What is it? 19? Well, you're I mean, 25 now, so I must Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I look at... No, and I, the guy who was lecturing was literally the author of the textbook we're using. He's like a famous biochemist. 
And he was talking about introns and exons, and he actually said, oh, this is junk DNA. And I remember, I still have it in my garage. I wrote down junk DNA in quotation marks, and I circled it, and I wrote exactly during the lecture, there is no such thing as junk in biology, exclamation point. <laughs> and I was pissed off that he said that. Now, yeah. what the hell did I know? I was a biochemistry undergrad, but let me tell you what I did know. Intuitive knowledge. I knew intuitively that nature doesn't behave that way. And I don't know how I knew it. That, uh, it, it right? It, and not only that, it doesn't behave that way like where 90% is right. junk. No, right? no. In fact, nature is pleiotropic. It, it creates a single molecule that does 20 different things. It has both specificity and, depending on the context, pleiotropy. Okay. Now you're talking. Okay. <laughs> now you're talk. Okay. So, so here's the, the, the interesting thing. So, do you agree? Very I mean, recently. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I think it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to think that there's so much junk in it. But the, the, the reason we are not where we should have been in terms of, uh, you know, personalized medicine, um, creating, <laughs> creating life, um, by being able to synthetically um, create some strands of DNA and putting it into phospholipid bilayer that was suggested. Vetner um, is trying to do this. Yeah. He's got we, a company that's creating cells. Exactly. Who, which sorry, was, was that? such a... Uh, Vetner. Vetner, yeah. Vitner. Which he, was, he's, he's the guy with Francis Collins who started the, the genome Human Genome Project at NIH. I see. And then he left and created like this billion-dollar company where he's literally like he's i heard him lecture at a, at a conference he's he's literally creating cells the problem is it's not really working well because is there's a lot more to it than putting together a piece of dna that encodes for protein there is all kind of th three-dimensional structure of the chromosome that also enables temporal expressions Correct. time is encoded time is yeah. encoded why is it that you know um your eyelashes grow to certain length and don't keep growing your tooth only grows to certain length why is it that there's symmetry you know i mean you look at folks that have for example um the symmetry in one hand usually is replicated in the other hand as well <clears throat> Um, this whole three-dimensional growth that a child goes through is very, very tightly monitored. You're not going to have one arm that grows five times quicker as the other side. These are these are not just the codons or the codes that are. This is this is all like three-dimensional packaging and pretty much regulation at epigenetic level. And Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Do you think what you just described, which is essentially form and function in embryology, like, you know, stop here, grow the finger like this, make the, the nose this shape, is that explained by chemistry and biology alone, or is there a field of information shaping all this? What, what is your opinion? What do you mean by shape of information? <clears throat> well, I mean, you're... It's a question I'm asking. You're describing. No, I, I just don't know what you mean by that. Well, there's all kinds of fields, right? There's fields of They're energy. like quantum fields, things like don't that? Don't know. No, I'm just, I'm leaving it broad. I'm just saying. It, it, is there something we don't know? Is it, there is there a force right. or a field? In morphology, is, yeah. exactly. In morphology, in morphogenesis, is chemistry and biology enough to explain it based on what we currently know? Well, based on, we don't, we don't, we don't know anything honestly there is ring the bell ring the bell there is <laughs> like 
the truth of it is there is an order of magnitude um, complexity in us, in humans or animals, that it's it's so complex that I don't think we can wrap our head around it. Do you think we'll I mean, ever be able to come up with an I think answer. it's going to take thousands of years, honest to God. I think it's going to take thousands of years to really get to where you were saying earlier, Kaldeep, about disappointment of where we are compared to where we thought we would be. <clears throat> because, um, because it's so complex. I mean, even when you look at just one single molecule, like chloroplast that we were talking about earlier, there's a whole machinery with many, many proteins that are geared together, just like a manufacturing plant to, to harvest this electron that got bounced off another piece of that chloroplast because the photon hit it. And then they pretty much, <clears throat> like a rally, hand over this electron to the next protein down the line, and then that gets to, I mean, I don't want to really get into the, but basically it, it creates your energy currency in the cell, which ATP. is ATP. Yeah. yeah. So, it's so electron transport chain. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so also, which is like mitochondria. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. The, the point is, there is enormous, unimaginable complexity. Yeah. But getting back to your point earlier, I think all of this is very tightly programmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the embryogenesis is all automated. How, how, I don't right, think right. there is an external field mm -hmm. of information that guides this stuff. Mm. So, so you you think that it could be explained? Just we haven't fully oh understood I think for sure all of the, for the sure. chemistry, the biology. We we're not there. Yeah, yet. there are examples. There are examples of um, that kind of leads us to believe that it is all pre-programmed. <clears throat> At least when it comes to development of of a life form, so so it's interesting, right? There's a foundational aspect of uh, coding, right? Like you're you're a geneticist, right? I I don't I don't mean to label you a rush, but I mean your your background is in genetics. So then obviously there there's an element of foundational coding, right? Like there's there's a platform, but as the organism evolves, as it consumes, as it develops. That's not part of, uh, you know what I mean? That's not coded. Well, I think it, it depends on what, what you mean by evolved. I am who I am because of mm, my life history but, but and experience. Have, don't so we there is that. our genes? Like, don't we? Like we you, do. You discussed epigenetics, right? We do. So, so what is it that's affecting that? Is it just environmental? I think we know very little about it, but there are examples of us being able to, us as, you know, life forms being able to, or animals, if you will to be able to pass information to our next generation, to the our progeny, because of what we experienced. I mean, I give you an example. Like if you stress mice in a certain way, and it could be unrelated to what you would assume to be a stressful to a mouse. I mean, I could present a train, a mouse, Every time I show that mouse that pen you have, and I cause a stress to that mouse. So that mouse associates that pen with some kind of stress. The Pavlovian response. Yeah. We can show that that mouse actually passes this 
if you will, experience to his or her progeny. Multiple generations, actually, epigenetically. The, the progeny yeah. never experiences this. But they have that fear. But they have the fear. So you show this pen to the, to the offspring of this mouse, mm -hmm. you see the same reaction. Yeah. And when people went and looked at the sort of the profile of the changes in the genome, they see that the sequences don't change, right? So your ATGC don't change, but there are epigenetic changes, meaning is there are methylation, for example. There's a methyl group added to some part of the genome, or there's some other... So post-translational right? changes that has happened that gets actually into mm. you get actually you can inherit that stuff. So so we're, mm. are we are we? So I think this is where environment can affect. <coughs> this is fascinating because I mean, are we saying essentially that Carl Jung's description of the ancient archetypes is really genetically coded? It's past epigenetically. Epigenetic. I mean, I think it's both. I think it's, it's both. both. You, don't, you can't have epigenetic if you don't have genetic. Uh, yes, I, I think, but but I want to get back to something you said earlier, because there's different ways of looking at this. I want to push back a little bit, yeah, because you said you don't believe that there's an information field, which is perfectly valid. No, no, I didn't say that I don't believe there's an information field. Um, my thinking is you don't need the information field to guide right, your you're, development. Right, right. You're talking about programming at the em embryonic level. Right. So you're talking about programming, right? Yeah. So the question that I have is maybe more philosophical or conceptual. We're actually limited by language. Like I'm very aware that when I say something, my language is restricting my ability to convey the complexity and the texture of the idea. That's why sometimes you have to talk for a long time to convey something, and then you're still not done. You need music, you need paintings, you need <laughs> sounds, right? It, 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 concepts are like a landscape, and you're showing a pencil sketch, but it's a very rich, like, you know, go and walk on the grass, right? What I'm trying to say is we use the word programmed, right? We're talking about semantics now, meanings of syntactical statements, right? So when you say something is programmed linguistically, and I'm being very careful about this, mm -hmm. linguistically, when you say something is programmed, it connotes a programmer. So I would like to know when you say programmed, do you mean there is a programmer, there's something programming it, or how is the programming happening? And again, I'm making a distinction between the, the vagaries and the limits of our linguistic uh, culture and limitations versus the deeper concept you're trying to convey. <clears throat> so this is getting into possibly theology stuff. Not necessarily. I no, mean, I, I'm know. asking So what do you mean by programmer? I well, thought you meant like creator or well, something well you know that's no, no. the problem is like that's yeah. what he's saying is that that there's to use that term connotes a programmer is, is i guess i'm asking is that a linguistic thing or hmm. do you do you say you say no Amr, that's linguistic when i say it's programmed there doesn't doesn't have to require a programmer meaning a conscious agent that's programming it just happens right that could be an answer that's what i'm asking is what <laughs> Wait, is so the, this is something we've Debated and discussed many quite a bit. podcasts. Like, yeah. like, could the statue of David just appear on the side of a mountain by or, erosion, or the by, the by by just what we would say randomness, or the painting, chance. the painting of Mona Lisa? Is that you know, could nature just produce could, something? Could could a, could a child just throw a bunch of paint <clears throat> at a at a wall and then one just by pure chance, it's the Mona Lisa? 
<laughs> and so the, it's the, laughable. <clears throat> it's laughable. This is the, right? this I is mean, the problem. You would literally laugh out loud at that. Because when you say it's programmed, I, I know we're getting a little bit into almost philosophy because when you talk about concepts, it, it veers into a, into a range that is beyond measurement. So when we when we are talking about something that I cannot measure, which is what physics is about, I'm in the realm of what's called substance or quality or quality, which is what Aristotle talked about. That every entity in nature has a qualitative and a quantitative. Now science says no more with the qualitative. We're only sticking with the reductionist quantitative. So if you're gonna say it's programmed, I'm curious, what do you mean? Yeah. And again, I mean, it's, there's it's, no right answer. I'm just no, saying. I I don't have an answer, but <clears throat> But, but it, so so I to me when I say programmed, I mean all of the instructions are already there. Okay, Ooh. so you say instructions. Where do the instructions come from? Well, I mean, let me let me let me get to the point. Then I I personally think, and obviously there are all thoughts of schools of thoughts on this, but I personally think, um, evolutionary pressure is one one of the um levers that's used but i think there's th i think there needs to be to your point a programmer for for so evolution saying, to act on <clears throat> so you're saying there's a programmer so i think yeah i think there is a creator i personally think there is a creator hmm. now you're talking okay so i think there's a creator i mean <laughs> no, no. again so this is my personal <laughs> It, you know, and I come honestly. I I come from. <laughs> you guys should see he has. He's actually <laughs> the, the, wearing. Yeah, he's uh, actually at, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I am yeah. channeling Scarface today yeah, for the audience. His, <clears throat> yeah, his shirt is. Uh, your punch your fingers. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, I I think I. I cannot personally wrap my head around. The I mean, this is a billion times, trillion times more complex than Mount Rushmore's. Um, you know, carved faces yeah. that you know you could say, ah, you know, listen, if you if you let this mountain sit here for trillions of years, maybe some randomly by forces of erosion, a face shows up. Yeah. So this is this is not that. But what if somebody comes so, to you and so says, "So there's got to be some kind of creator." My personal think is the creator that I'm <coughs> imagining. Is 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 not the what you alluded to this earlier is is not the almighty all good not a theological not the theological yeah. kind of concept that your your common religion would like to portray. But, but what if an atheist comes to you and says, "Hey, you're a molecular geneticist. I totally agree with you when you talk about that the morphogenic embryological development is." essentially explained by biology and chemistry. But you lost me when you said it's programmed, there's a programmer, and you believe there's a creator. Now, an atheistic person who doesn't have that concept may push back and say, how could you say that with both minds at the same time? How could you believe the the science that you believe with your background and, and, and yet at the same time say there's a creator? How would you address someone who comes at you with that question <clears throat> why should why should science be contradictory to a creator boom actually? drop the hammer right there there we go oh wait no oh. That's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> i'm still i'm still learning do this not edit that out keep that out oh <laughs> I, that one. I like that I like clearly that. we've lost our producer
<laughs> dear audience members, dear audience members, I would like you to know that we don't have a regular producer here, and poor K to the T is filling in for both. So yeah, where where are you, Zubin? Okay, yeah. <laughs> wait, say it one more time. Say it one more time for the what you just said. What did I say? You said Amber? why does science have to contradict theology or spirituality? I mean, there are aspects of it that I disagree. Like I said. Or you said the creator, right? Yeah, I said creator. So that's a very beautiful answer because now the atheist may come back and say, well, everything's explained by randomness and chance. I mean, that's their only explanation is randomness. Now, once you dispense with randomness as a foundational event, I'm not talking about the measurable stochastic randomness that we see mathematically and in chemical reactions, which there's a certain reality that we accept, but fundamentally, right? When you dispense with randomness, guess what you've dispensed with? The foundational belief system of all of all of atheism. In fact, I would like to invite an atheist, not to isolate our audience members, but I'm not an atheist. I believe, in fact, I don't believe, I know from experiences. It's, it's hard to find like <clears throat> a like true atheist. I think a lot of people right, are really, right. if they're atheists, they're, it's about 9% of the population in America, actually. Nine? Yeah. Let's bring Dawkins on this cast. It, it was a, a Pew, um, uh, you know. I, yeah, Pew. Pew Research, you know, they, it, exactly. they, they, they surveyed. It's about, so, but I think a lot of them are agnostic. They I don't so. know, but they don't. Yeah. And 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 the problem, and this is veering off, completely off the topic here. I'm, I apologize. Uh, but they, they, they actually so. are, it, it's almost a rebellion against the dogmatic nature of religion. The idea that, there's a God. He looks like us. He's sitting on a cloud or whatever, you know, like what, whatever the conception is, you know, it, there's almost a rebellion against this limiting concept of religion. And I think that I, I'm, I'm speaking not as an agnostic or an atheist, um, you know, but you're having, a man of God. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, 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 I think that there is, I, I agree with you, Arash, that I, I do believe in a creator. I don't, I'm not so arrogant to think that I know or or that any sort of religious text completely conceptualizes this in a, I, I agree. All of these books, the Quran, for example, has has an amazing interpretation. Well, the Quran tells you there's limits. There's limits to what is being revealed and what you will know. In fact, one of the statements in the Quran is do not ask me about the soul. The soul is with God. There's a certain veil of information which is very interesting. It's yeah. very interesting because the, the Quran is de facto admission. There is a veil. We're not revealing everything. You can't conceive of God. Is God is inconceivable. It's, there's you know, a certain a, poetic beauty and, and in that. And also, even in, in, in <clears throat> I'm, I'm not a Hindu, but in, in Hinduism, there's this idea as well that, that you, you work and you get toward a certain place where you understand the ultimate nature of reality. That's the Brahman, yeah. right? Like, that's... You get to a point where you, like you said, you pull away the veil and you see what is actually the true nature of reality. But but I like I like many discussions I've had with Arash, which one of the reasons I really appreciate you is a lot of people will use their religion as a crutch, and I never like that. Even though I have my own, you know, religious rites and practices and faith, I try not to use that in order to understand. Because belief is is weaker 
belief has power. Believe me, athletes who believe they're going to win, they're more likely to win. So there's a certain power in, in belief. belief, right? But then when when you come when it comes to understand, <laughs> sorry, I'll stop. I'll stop. When it comes to understanding, having knowledge. <clears throat> personal experience, knowledge somehow, there's dimensions to knowledge, is I think higher, is a higher form. So if you are talking to somebody and they're just citing their book that you may or may not believe in, that's a weaker form of engaging somebody about the nature of reality, right? And, and I like that about the position that you've taken oftentimes, which is there's these religions, they say all these different things. How can we get to the bottom of things? Well, I feel like you don't need any religion. I feel like, just as you did, you somehow arrive. I mean, when you look at things, you say, gosh, there, there must be a creator. It's almost a intuitive, naturalistic conclusion once you really look at things as I they think are. You, I think there definitely needs to be some intuition right. you tap into. Right. Because we, we otherwise we don't know. We'll never... I mean... Um, yeah, I, th I, th I think... Like you said earlier, it's like you you would laugh if somebody says, "Oh, this statue just randomly <clears throat> created itself." Uh, you would have to ask the question. You have right? to ask. You, you have to ask yeah. the question. And you know, getting back to the actual topic of this <laughs> is that the the destructive nature of reality. <laughs> That's right. We it, we kind of it's okay. Is it from, it's natural? You need yeah. destruction to create life. We need. To end in order to begin, it's it's actually really quite interesting. No, it has a theological context. You you can't. I mean, like you can't. You, that's why this question is interesting that you brought, Arash, because it has tendrils and connections to so many different. So topics. many. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it, parts of it could we, be dangerous. We we to, to, yeah, to talk it, it about is, exactly. But, but you know, we, we've already we've gone to theology. We've gone to science. We're, we're, we're branching all over philosophy. the philosophy because because this concept that you're bringing up about um, that life needs destruction. <laughs> Yes, and, and destruction is not necessarily a bad thing, you right? Know? I mean, we we I think the word destruction has a connotation of negativity, right? But but it doesn't have to be. And I, I think I gave you guys the example of um, as part of your growth when you're a f six weeks old fetus, six weeks, it's not much. Um, there is a there is as part of your development. Uh, there, are, there's your fingers have webs between them, and kind of like you know when you look at duck, a duck's feet have webs compared to a chicken. It's not duck walk, you know. The duck walk, <laughs> right? Um, and to get to a functional fingers, you start with a web. Don't know why that's how it is, but it is how it is. And then the, the what is called in biology program cell death. Apoptosis. Apoptosis. Those cellular um, webs undergo dissolution. Pretty much like suicide. They Correct. destroy themselves. It's organized, though. It's organized. Yeah, so you don't get it's like, tissue There's damage. instruction. Right. Like, okay, you it's at that location die. This cell at that location is amazing. It, right? it, so it there's kills coordinates. Yeah. There's specific, there's identification of where that cell is. In right. the three-dimensional space. And, and it's ordered to and die. And it knows, <clears throat> like if I'm soldier. in that coordination yeah. system, I need to destroy myself. Right. So that the greater objective of this human being is achieved, which means right. functioning fingers. 
So, so those webs. So that's pretty. You think about it. That's yeah. destruction. It is so destruction of living cells. So, mm-hmm. so cells are giving up their lives essentially in order to well, have a functional you, hand. If you say there's life at the cellular level, which, I mean, it, which some argue it is, because then, yeah, sperm is sperm. Every single one of those millions of sperm when you ejaculate are alive, probably, depending on how you define life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Some people say life is not really life till its sperm is united with an egg. And then you have a full complement of chromosome. I, I think I'm getting kind of tangent here. No, but you're not. <clears throat> That's what this is about. We, but, we, but, we the, but, the, but you cannot have functioning form of fingers if you don't allow for those specific living cells to die. In a precise <clears throat> location. Precise location. <laughs> so this is all instructions. You cannot haphazardly kill cells that should be part of your 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 fingernails. And if or, that happens, you get a deformation, right? And so we do actually have this genetic disruption in some people where this doesn't happen and they're born with fused fingers or toes. This happens, right? So by sort of tweaking that normal function, you see that the impact that it has. So that, and it, so, so I think that goes to <laughs> death. What's what <laughs> is the what's the what is really the meaning of life or death? Because you have to talk about death. I mean, you're saying the destructive nature of it's like, part of you, run. right? I mean, everyone will die, right? Just like you're born, you're going to die at some point. You're going to experience that. So, how do you how do you think about death? Like, it, what does death mean within the context of the destructive nature of life? It's part of life. You literally cannot be alive without the, the experience of death. Life requires death as well as birth. If you're going to be born, your body will die. But the question is, do you continue? But I don't know if it's necessary life, though, Amor. I mean, it mm-hmm. could be. A necessity for things to continue. Um, explain that to me. <clears throat> well, um, if I'm alive, I die, I decompose. Your body decomposes. My body decomposes, right? So molecules decompose. Some of them turn into specific atoms. Part of what used to be this form maybe becomes part of a you know earthworm. Maybe part of it becomes part of a tree because some of the carbons, whatever, end up in. Part of it can remain as soil. The iron in your blood actually doesn't even come. It right. comes from stars that yeah. are novas, supernovas that exploded. Yeah. So, so is so. I think it's a continuation of of a form, of forms <clears throat> of existence. But does your mind or your soul or what makes you you continue? There's an organization there, right? Like I mean we're we're conscious. There's an or, there's an organized So this consciousness is a topic that by the way we're gonna do oh it. Oh my god. We're gonna do it and we have so we have we're gonna do a series of podcasts on the nature of mind. The brain and the mind and we talked about transduction versus production. This is these these so with many, many different philosophical ideas and I mean, concepts it, and thoughts. There's so many people that have discuss yeah. this and w- amazingly we're nowhere close to even answering that question right no. and this lab is just going to be you know to inform and get people we we, we don't promise answers here <laughs> well no, we're, we might give 
opinions and answers that we believe in, but it's up to you whether or not you want to, you know, believe in that or buy into ah, it. Ah, but maybe it makes you think. Mm. We exactly makes you think. It makes you, you reflect. Know, uh, Tupac said famously that he wasn't going to be the one to conduct the revolution, but his music would be playing in the in and go into the ears of the person who would set off the revolution. He's so a philosopher. He he is obviously, and he's also you know the tragic sort of figure. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that if we ask these questions, they serve as a they stimulate. Yeah, to to future generations, current generation, wh- wherever it, we, we we're part of the conversation and want to get into the ears of people who who may have the answers. Because I'm is, not claiming it, I do, it, but no, it, I'm going to ask these questions. No, it is a, because when you ask the we talked about this in prior part. When you ask the question, you're illuminating a light into a darkness. You're shining that light. Yeah, there, because yeah. the fact asking a question is lighting a spark. Boom! It's alive. It's on fire. And when that question comes into the consciousness of a human being, there's a light in their mind because now they're faced with this brightness and they have to answer the question. <clears throat> the question is the light. Now, the struggle is trying to find the answer. The struggle is trying to find the answer. And all of the, the legacy of humanity is attempting to find the answer in every field, philosophy, theology, Art, aesthetic, science, that's our attempt to deal with the illumination, with the light of what the question brings. In fact, our entire human evolution, our dignity as human beings is the freedom to ask questions. There's, I believe nothing is beyond questioning. Every single thing in existence ought to be questioned because that is the mechanism of getting at truth. I agree. Totally that's why agree people that. getting offended, it's ridiculous. Are you a child? You're a little child that you can't handle the illumination of the question. You can't handle the truth. We're all huge movie buffs. If you've noticed, we're going to channel different movies. We're shout outs to our favorite actors <laughs> yeah. and our, you know. So, so you know, yeah. I, I, I this is this is a really fascinating idea that death. I, I think Amr's bringing it up. Obviously, Arash. Um, I want to get back to this because I, I have a question. <laughs> And the the question is, then maybe there is an incredible amount of redundancy in nature, and maybe there is a lot of like we don't understand it, but there, it seems like there's a lot. Like you know, going back to the, uh, you were talking about sperm. Let's talk about sperm, everybody. So there's, I don't know how many millions yeah. of potentialities there. Yeah. Why why the redundancy, nature? Why? Because eggs are hard to penetrate. They're real. Why? I thought I thought this was supposed to be like Have you dealt with eggs? <laughs> eggs are a fortress, dude. <laughs> you cannot penetrate eggs. They're uh, actually the shell of an egg is actually remarkably constructed in its spherical or uh, oval shape, right? It like, is a moat surrounded by a castle wall. You need an invasion force. So that only one can make it and produce you, the winning sperm. So, boom. so, so, and right? then, and then I want to get to the soldier idea, right? Like, I mean, human beings. So we were talking about at the micro level, cells, you know, programming themselves to die, or, or being programmed to die. Well, human beings work the same way. We send men to die all the time, men and women, maybe, but you know, we send soldiers to die in wars, and they know they're going to die. 
right? I mean, You're think right. about that. Like, think about life is supposed to... It's intertwined with meaning, right? Viktor Frankl. How right? do you... Uh, that this is this is now that now we're getting I think th- this Genai, to me is very interesting Genai this idea thoking. that that somebody would be willing to just yeah. join the army go overseas go to some foreign place to kill somebody they don't know and they themselves to end up brutally uh, disabled or dead fully knowing that yeah. that could happen but why do they do it why does the cell do it the cell does it because it's programmed why would the human do it because he's programmed as well. That's part of into, it. Into believing, like they, 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 there's a meaning there. Like, uh, it, you know, for example, you know, not to get political, but like, you know, the the the, um, the jihad of certain, um, I, <laughs> this is kind of difficult to discuss. Well, I mean, you, 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 but, but you just look at, you know, like even any Western force going into a nation. Yeah. A lot of these young, you know, I've seen these documentaries, right? These Navy SEALs, these right, young, these right. young, they're like 18, 19, 20. Basically, they're like, you know, we're, we're fighting for the buddy next to me because if I don't take care of him, he's going to get killed. Right. So they think of it as a microcosm. Of course, they're thinking about their country and, and you know, fighting for freedom, whatever that means, right? Obviously, we don't always agree or, with those or political Or some kind decisions. of cause. Or some kind of cause. Some kind of cause that <clears throat> yeah, yeah. they believe in. But, but the number or one— Or they had to, financially. So I could know. program. I could—I I mean, essentially, that's what happens in many of these— Quote Drill unquote, sergeants. The, the, you know, the, yeah. these uh, any organization where you have, like, it, this is hard to discuss, obviously, because if I start bringing up examples, it could get controversial. But so let's stay, let's stay very, well, we, we want to, let's stay okay. very, very generic here. And a government that raises its citizens to believe a certain ideology. And that ideology is that they are superior, that they, that they are the chosen ones and that everybody else doesn't really matter. So therefore, any action we we conduct in the name of that ideology, in the name that we are doing what we are chosen here to do, this is programming, right? Yeah. We're, yes. we, we program, the, the government programs us to believe a certain thing. Like at, at one point in uh, when I was very young, I, I wanted to join the military. I thought that would be amazing to serve and to um i had a you know maybe a jingoistic sort of patriotic slant to me and thinking that you know america is the chosen one we're here to do god's work and that i would join the military and that i would go and fight and believe in all these things uh and can and and but possibly do amazing atrocities right but we're learning that maybe these atrocities are necessary destruction is necessary I mean, it is part of life. What's guiding this? Like, how do we know yeah. we're right and wrong? Is there a right and wrong? Of course, well, there I, don't, is, right? I don't know if we we can necessarily. I'm, I'm going way off the I, no, I, but path I think here. I don't know if we can necessarily equate what nature does in terms of destructions for whatever the end goal is and what humans do. Oh, you you made this point earlier. I think we were so, talking. So, but but you know, we I, nature. I don't, Aren't we nature? Like Stalin, what Stalin did, or Mao, yeah, so know, the, so Mao and, and yeah, others. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like mass genocides that have okay. happened throughout all history. Yeah, you're about to drop a major bomb. Go ahead. No, no. The conversation that you guys are alluding to, yeah. I think, is that um, if you look at if you, if I look at the um, naturally driven 
extinction of life forms on the planet throughout the you know the past millions of years, right? At least we are aware of five, maybe maybe six now major extinctions. Some due to comets, some due to volcanoes, some whatever, right? Um, the biggest one, 250 million years ago, I think we lost close to like 80 percent. Uh, or 70% of terrestrial life, maybe 60% of marine life, billions and billions and billions of life forms vanished from the planet. So then the question in my mind is, um, based on what we all talked about, what, how much v- worth and value nature has for life? But isn't that you destruction part of life, though, right? So if if this if destruction is part of life, what we talked about, it's part of yeah, changing form. So the life itself's worth it doesn't seem to be much regarded. If if you want to anthropomorphize, like, like a lion could come in here and just eat us and tear us apart. Yeah, like a you know it could happen. Like and that's actually part of God's creation. Like. That could happen. That so could happen. How many people did Stalin kill? Millions. Oh, millions. Many. Uh, uh, What's the estimate? I don't know. 10, oh, 20 million? Like I don't know. Internally within the country, millions. No, tens of millions. Tens of millions. Probably 20 million. 30 yeah. million, 40 million. Who knows, right? But but what we're saying here is that, that that's okay. Yeah. D- don't, don't chew into the mic. How about that? <laughs> you got to edit this out, dude. <laughs> no, it's staying. Um... So what we're saying is Stalin is um, can't be viewed in this lens. So, so, so he can't he can't be viewed as necessarily evil. Well, this is very controversial. It's super you know, controversial, because, right? Because, because Especially if you're the one who was killed, or if your family was the one murdered. No, no, by no, this. no, no. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's obviously wrong. Okay, let's say it. Go. It's obviously wrong. So what? it's, it's what? obviously well, wrong? wrong. It is wrong to. So here, so here's I think. Let me put the, put it put it into context. There's morality. It's, I mean, it's not just nature. Human beings have a moral nature. Like, like I'm not going to go and just kill a bunch of animals because it's fun. Like, it seems wrong. But if somebody comes into your house and is going to kill your family, it's okay to kill them. In defense, I would say... In, in self-defense. In, in self-defense, you should try not to. But if you if you end up doing it in, in self-defense, it's acceptable. Because why would you want to accept your own... You but, know, but looking at... Okay, we're just picking on Stalin. Um, looking at him at the macro level... What what did he do? Well, I mean, isn't that part of? Isn't that just part of the cycle of life? I think what the context was that um, the way humanity, for the most part, and I, I hope for the most part, views life is viewing life as a cher- cherished miracle, something to value, something to protect. Most most of us do. Then you compare this to natural events that eradicates millions and millions of life. And it appears that at least if there is a creator, there is a God, there is not much of a... um, I I I I don't see cherished respect and protection of life in nature. Because... You can have a comet hitting this planet, and you're gonna have 
billions of and trillions of life forms well, vanish s- suddenly. So then the question becomes, are, are we actually viewing life and cherishing life because we see it as such a unique, amazing Phenomenon. thing yeah. compared to nature, compared to what... But aren't you part of nature, or are we not part of nature? Because then, I mean, you're asking a question almost, you're looking at it from the outside, right? And we're, we're adding value to yeah, things. What I'm saying is it feels like most of us as humans cherish life, whereas nature really doesn't have that much respect what would, for, but, when but, it comes but to nature, taking 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 a life but, away but you can make a counter argument nature is extremely like restrained i mean all kinds of bad shit could happen right now volcanoes and and meteorites could hit us and the whole thing could end in seconds so that, but but nature or god there's restraint there is some kind of protection or mercy i mean your immune system if i take away your immune system you can't last a few days your microorganisms. No, but there's are. constant fight to protect life. So now you're now you're right? talking. No, I right. mean within right. us. I mean, right. right? We have immune systems well, well, because we're I'm... constantly under attack. Well, y- we are trying to protect ourselves. A bird tries to protect itself or herself from itself right. from a cat. Life I wants mean, to propagate. Right? Life wants to protect itself. As th- at the individual level, but at a global level, at the nat- nature level. There is, there is like no regards when it comes to, but but, but suddenly taking away billions of lives. But I'm going to push back on this. I'm going to push back on this. If that didn't happen, right, the the planet would be overpopulated. You you need to have this these destructive events. You know, it could be much worse. So we're anthropomorphizing this idea as oh, nature doesn't care. Nature could be way more savage. No, way more savage. It's true. It's true. I mean, I can see your point. Yeah. I can see your point. My point was... Like, we're lucky there's only how, 6 million extinction events out of a 4 billion-year-old planet. You know, it's like, it, it could be once every 10 years. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's that. So it's, it almost exists in a, in a harmonious balance, right? Like, that you yeah. need these cycles of destruction, whatever six extinction events. You need Stalin, Hitler. That's you your need apoptosis. Genghis Khan. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that, what you said. <clears throat> but, but, but you need... These natural events is your like your apoptosis of the webs disappearing. But I could see that. These right? are, you I know, could see that. But then, generally think of these men as, <clears throat> I mean, if you surveyed people across the country, they would look at these men as evil. They would just say they're evil. But let's take a step back. Is this just nature? Is this just life? Is this just part of the cycle? We, this is going to happen, and it gives us perspective. It frames. Our reality? Genghis Khan, I, I, I want to answer this question. Genghis Khan killed 80 million people. And 16% of all Asian men Estimate. have his DNA. Correct. That's how much, you know, you know. Propagating. Uh, right. Humanity, <coughs> humanity is weird because, you know, um, oftentimes, with some exceptions, we tend to glorify the some of these acts of violence and destructions. Like... You know, you go to Paris. There's a monument for Napoleon. Well, he he did a lot of killing too. He's a butcher. It's a butcher. But, you know, but, but, so so a lot of these like um, conquerors of the old past. See, I say butcher, murderers but, in a sense. But some people might look at him as a surgeon. Well, just carving away excess. In a sense, Khalid also has a point. I mean, th- this is a very 
I think, difficult topic. Because it is difficult. Uh, it's very, it's it's actually hard to conceptualize and fully, because it has many angles to look at. Like, like you talk about it's part of nature, right? You can make the argument, oh, Genghis Khan is part of nature. You can actually make that argument because there is an episode that is really frightening where he, I think it was in Iran uh, or Afghanistan as he was coming through before he got to Baghdad, where he went into that city and, and it was a, a Muslim land, Muslim lands, and he gathered up everybody and he went inside the mosque. Okay, I hope historically this is true, but this is what I know. Maybe a historian will correct me, but for what it's worth, he gave a sermon at the mosque, not as a Muslim, but as what, you know, because that's what the gathering place is. He said, God has sent me as a punishment to you for your transgressions. All of you are going to be executed. <laughs> this is a man who killed 50,000 people <clears throat> in one day, systematically. So, so no, no, he, he basically told them, he said... I am God's punishment for you today. Yeah, but who is he to know right. that? Who, I understand. I, it's but crazy, I, I'm, right? I'm not saying it's true. I'm just no, saying... At, at just looking it, at... Is that not part of nature? At a macro level, yes. Right. It's just, I mean, like, if I was up on the moon looking down at the right. planet, I would, you know, and I existed over, you know, right. the last five billion years <laughs> looking at Earth, I would just look at that. This is just a little drop in the bucket. Right, I mean, look, I, this is very coarse to say these this this way. But as individuals, we have a moral position. Well, we say that's they, wrong, that's evil. Well, there's some there's right. a concept of humanity, right? Like when we're just <clears throat> describing the destructive nature of life, there's no there's no room there for humanity. We're not discussing humanity. Humanity right. is different right. because nature is brutal. This is what you're saying, Arash, that there is a almost. Um, it's th there's no feeling impersonal. To, th yes, I, I, I'm looking for the word. Nature is right? impersonal. There's Nature is impersonal, and I think what I'm trying to say is there is a. It feels to me there's a disconnect for at least for for most of us. I mean, Genghis Khan, Stalin, you know these characters, Hitler, uh, Hitler, um, Trump, Trump, <laughs> Hitler, <laughs> and uh, you know Napoleon, Charlemagne. Um, I mean, on and on. Um, aside, Modi, I think for Bush. The, for for. for <laughs> For most of us, for most of us, we tend to cherish life. We tend to view life as something that needs to be protected. Uh, it's natural. Um, and but at the at nature's level, um, it doesn't feel like there is such a attention being paid to protecting life. Nature it, is dangerous. Nature, yes. There is, there is no, life is not special is what I'm trying to say. And when you look at the natural course of life history on the planet, it, there is no disregard for destroying life. So nature is not discriminating. It, it conducts itself and works in its own mysterious way. However, nature has produced an organism that is extraordinarily discriminating and uses that discriminating it uses that discrimination indiscriminately <laughs> right i mean it's it's quite it's quite amazing to think that human beings have s some of the things that human beings have done and almost the justification that they use you know now you know with this argument we're almost saying that you know, it's uh, it's just it's just part of life. Well, for, I mean, for, for butchers humans, to come and go. If humans, if you agree that humans are part of life, 
which I think we are. Sure. Uh, even if you take it to the point of <clears throat> there is a creator that created, I mean, okay, we are somehow evolutionary got to where we are from the lower level primates. Even if you, well, it doesn't matter. I think <coughs> the fact that we are here and part of the nature, it makes you think whether or not all this brutality is part of natural phenomenon of of being alive. Actually, Hitler made this argument, right? He, he's like, he's like, we are, I mean, as despicable as this is, we are the elite race. We are going to impose our system on Europe, and Europe has to accept. When he recognized that they won't accept, he just he just invaded them because no one's going to accept that. So he's looking at it as survival of the fittest. We are the fittest, and we have the right to come and impose our will. It that, is a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to that, think that about. Could, see, that could happen to us. It can happen to anybody. It can happen. It's happening right now all around the world. Oh, yeah. it, it's, it's happening right now. Yeah. yeah, it's hap- yeah. It's we're we're not time. elevated. We are no better than no better. our ancestors, right? We Even with all this civility. We're not... Know, Good versus nice. Good versus nice. It's a whole at, podcast on this. You know, at, at our core, there is absolutely, um, I don't know, this this desire to, to win, to survive. Look at the rise of, you know, various political leaders throughout the world now um, seeming to embrace authoritarianism or totalitarianism. It's being embraced. It's not getting better. In fact, as, as we move on... It, but let's just say, is that bad? Maybe that's what we're supposed. To, maybe that's just life. That that we're supposed to have the rise of totalitarianism and authoritarianism in order to propagate and survive. It, and and you can't help. The, the The problem is like we cannot escape this reality. Like no matter how you look at history, Arash. I know we're a little veering off the topic, but when you, <laughs> massively. No, no. But when you when you talk about the destructive nature, you get into concepts like. What is the point? Yeah, he's talking about meaning. You've asked yeah, that. Because your question, the destructive nature of life, the end point of that is what is the point, right? Well, I think nature <clears throat> has a different... I mean, like, it's not like... But you're part of nature. Na- nature has a different agenda. If you, I mean, Then you. I don't know. If, you're, you're, see, like, then like even humans ta- do. Yeah, but even talking about nature... It's a great nature, point, by the way. But even talking about it's nature... It's a very subtle point. We're it's Im- really interesting. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. But even talking about nature, we're sort of putting into it, like our brain, we're putting into our mindset into how we, how, what nature is. But nature doesn't follow anything that humans can say. Like, right? like, like right. this is even trying to understand the nature, like just say the nature of God. Like, yeah. Right? We're, we're oh. trying, to, trying to put you're that. You're imposing I, your concept right. of God on God. And God is telling you, you will not understand this. It's beyond your understanding. Except what I'm telling you for now. 80% of Christians believe exactly the concept of God that is portrayed in the Bible. Every religion has its own thing. And right. We, we, we leave it at that. But the, the problem, the, 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 the human existence, the existential philosophers all talked about human existence. You know what their conclusion was? Kierkegaard and all those guys? Their conclusion was, life is weird. <laughs> Essentially... <laughs> They're like, life is strange. Our, our greatest thinkers, yeah. our greatest minds, <laughs> this is what they come up with. No reason to read existential philosophy. I, will, I You know, I, sometimes I wonder if you are able to 
convince someone who is deeply religious and sort of believes everything he or she has read somewhere, doesn't matter what book, and you convince them to him or her to really think through and ask questions about things, what percent of those patients, the people, I wonder, would actually start doubting everything that they're reading and believing? And what happens to... <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Honestly. Great question, by the way. This is getting back to something. Because a lot of it is blind That's belief. Right. This is getting back to what I said earlier, right? That everything ought to be subject to inquiry. Investigation. Sub yeah. Subject yourself. Okay. If you have an idea, you must test the veracity of that idea under immense onslaught of inquiry from every angle imaginable. Only then can it sustain. This is essential. I would take every religious person, regardless of what they believe, because what's going to happen is one of two things. Either they will become way stronger believer because they have right. increase in knowledge, right? Or you're going to reveal and illuminate to them the shallowness of their blind belief, which is I a think, form of human weakness. I think either way both is are better than not. Exactly. No, both are. No useful. matter which way they go, you're even more correct. You more of a believer by by just asking questions and really thinking through. Yeah. Um, or or you like reduce your level of faith. Right. I think either way is is better than you were well, well, before you started that exercise. Well, uh, Arash, you are manifesting the spirit of this podcast. Okay. I, I think it's not enough to just believe in what your religion tells you. That's a weaker form of human existence. If somebody comes and questions everything about your belief, you should thank that person. Because now that person is forcing you to go and study and reflect and meditate and think and pray and wherever the guidance is, find out. Come up with arguments and understandings that can be articulated so another human being can maybe be elevated by your new information. Whether or not they accept it, right? We don't even understand what understanding is and acceptance. Like what is the criteria for someone to accept something or not? But when something, when everything is subjected to inquiry, the minimum that will happen to you is you'll become more knowledgeable. Or you just give up and go home, and then you're, you know, then that's your prerogative, and you become no better. But the process of inquiry is a critical mechanism for learning and for getting to truth with a capital T. I cannot emphasize this enough. In fact, there is no question in my mind that is beyond examination. There's nothing in existence that that should not be subjected to examination, and I believe this really to my core. And on that note. Um I'm gonna have to bring Wrap it up. I'm gonna have to bring a destructive oh, end to the form of discussion. This, has, this podcast has to be destroyed. <laughs> it has to end right now. All right, gentlemen. Uh, I, Arash uh, was really a pleasure having you here. Um, Thank you, Arash. It was fantastic. And uh, you know, we uh, look forward to many more discussions like this. We really appreciate uh, the spirit and uh, you you bringing this. You know, spirit to the idea, the question. Yeah, is a, really, yeah. it's great. So, on that note, I'm gonna key up the music. Until next time, my name's Kuldeep Tagore. Amr Zeki. Peace out. Adios, Peace amigos. Out.
QR Lab. Let's have it. We want to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they do not reflect the official policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.